All right. So to alter an old behavior, and we all have behaviors that need to be altered. So to alter an old behavior, there are three things you need to do. Are there any health problems associated with the old behavior? For example, have you been drinking 15 soft drinks a week and your brain is loaded with sugar uh, and you've gained weight? Okay, need to alter that behavior. Well, address the health problems. Now you need a healthier replacement behavior and this is huge. And then you've got to look at the routines and environments around you that would trigger you for the old behavior. And it's just so fascinating to me. I had a guy come talk to me in my office. Nobody ever comes to see me unless they have a problem, which is fine. But if somebody ever comes to my office and says, hi, I just stopped in to say good morning and hope you're having a good day, I'm going to faint. So this guy comes to my office. He says, I'm really overweight. I'm borderline diabetic. He says, I'm, I, I drink way too many soft drinks. He said, um, you know, probably need to do something about that. He says, I've been trying not to do this. I said, really? Well, it's probably going to be ineffective. He says, you know, I come home from work, so now I watch TV, and then I get the urge for a soft drink, so I get up and go and get one, and I have such good intentions. And I go, where do you go to get one? He goes, in the fridge. And I say, well, what part of getting everything out of the house that you want to have changed related to that behavior don't you get? Had a minister come to me one time and said, I'm addicted to ice cream. He said, I eat on the average of uh, two quarts a night. And I go, well, that's going to be really good for your ministry to say nothing of your health. And I said, so talk to me about that. Well, he says, I tell myself, I'm not going to eat ice cream tonight. Okay, what's in working memory? Ice cream. And it will make you want it more and more. And he says, then we get a break in the, you know, commercial and, and I go into the kitchen and get some ice cream. Pretty soon I've beaten almost, you know, half a gallon. And I said, what are you doing with ice cream in the freezer? Oh, well, he said there was a big sale and I don't want to waste it. <laughs> well, I said, you are, it is going to your waste. So if you're going to change behavior, you got to get it out I said, there's a whole lot of difference between you getting in the car and going to a supermarket and buying ice cream, and maybe before you get there, you'll have a change of heart. Then you just have to run to the freezer. So this is not rocket science. I know we're smarter than this. All right, so here's the, the stew metaphor. How many of you were here when I talked about this before? Hell, oh, brother. Well, I guess I'll have to do it again. Okay. Well... Your brain is a pot of chemical stew, literally, about 60 different chemicals. And all day long, for our entire lives, we do things to self-medicate so we get the flavor that we want in our stew. He taught himself that he liked the stew when he ate two quarts of ice cream a day. So if you want to change a behavior... You change the way you season your stew, which means you choose a healthier replacement behavior, and then you, you have to learn to like it. So let's say that you're eating um, curry, and you're getting some really serious health effects, hives, diarrhea, I don't know, think of anything unpleasant. 
And you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you're, you're really sensitive to curry. You have to stop eating curry. Eat something else. So you decide that you're going to eat minestrone. You start eating minestrone. You do have minestrone over here. Good. Well, you're never sure. We're down under, remember? I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> because I'm still upright. How can you be down under and still be upright? This is accusing. This is uh, confusing to me. So... You start eating minestrone, but every bite you take, you say, you know, this stuff is just really awful. I really don't like it. I really like curry better. What will you eventually do regardless of side effects? You'll go back to the curry. Okay, you got it. So you can season your brain directly or indirectly. So everything you eat, drink, sniff, snort, inject, rub on your skin is going to alter brain chemistry. But the same thing will happen if you happen to be a risk taker, and many extroverts are, because their brains run on dopamine. And when you take a risk, you pump adrenaline, and as adrenaline goes up, so does dopamine. So they like to do behaviors that give them more dopamine. Um, If you allow yourself to be in a state of anger, same thing happens. Uh, Exercise pours out what into your chemical stew? Endorphins, which is the body's natural morphine. Good. Every thought you think is going to change this. Sexual activities are huge. We think that aberrant sexual behavior is probably the fourth most common addiction in the States because it's so easy to get a hit and nobody knows about it because you're doing it in private. You know, if you have... (laughs) I was lecturing to the union... Hmm. Pacific Union Annual Ministerial Convention. And they wanted me to do this. And so I said, you know, every time you have an orgasm, you really, really change your brain's chemicals too. And there was this utter silence in the room. I mean, could hear people breathe. And I said, so what? You don't have them? I know it's probably not in the church manual. But that's a problem. We pretend it doesn't happen, and then we don't educate our kids. So here's the brain rule. Your brain only repeats behaviors for which it gets a reward. So I don't care what you think about sexual activity. If you got no reward, you'd stop doing it. Because without a reward, it's just messy and time-consuming. But you keep doing it because you get a reward. Did you get it? Good. So, your behaviors run on software. And here's the fascinating thing. Second brain takeaway. The minute you do something once, your brain is already laying out a piece of neuron software just in case you ever want to do it again. It's already got a head start. So I tell people, be careful what you do once. If it's something you think you don't want to keep doing, avoid ever even doing it once. Because you get this software, and then every time you do the behavior, you lay down a layer of myelin, which is the brain's asphalt. 
So you do the behavior 300 times, you got 300 layers of asphalt and so on and so forth. We blithely talk about breaking a habit. That is such a joke. We never break a habit, ever. How do you go in and, and jackhammer a neuron highway out of your brain that's got 3,000 layers of asphalt on it? You don't. So you can't break a habit. You can alter the software if you know what you're doing. And now we've got wonderful research that shows us how to do that. So if you have a behavior that you want to alter, <clears throat> you have to alter the software. So I'll give you an example in my life. Here's one. The phone rings. It's Aunt Mad. She begins to whine. She begins to tell me all the reasons that her life is not going very well, and it's always my fault. She's 85, champion ice skater from Canada. We took her skates away from her when she was about 80. Um, I wouldn't do that again. I'd just take the blades off and let her have her skates <clears throat> so she could put them on sitting on the couch and imagine she's skating. But unfortunately, we took the skates away, so she's really ticked off. <clears throat> and, you know, she doesn't like getting older. Getting older gracefully is a concept she has not mastered. So it's always, well, Arlene, if you'd come to visit me yesterday, I'd be having a better day. Okay, she might be, but that's still a crock. Or, you cut my hair yesterday and it's too short and I don't feel good today. Well, woman, I saved you $40. Get a life. <laughs> you know, so blaming is just a person's way of trying to decrease their own discomfort. They try to displace it on somebody else. Well, I didn't have that really clear back then, so I would feel anxious. And as I felt anxious, I would think about Cadbury chocolate and I'd find, open a drawer, get a Cadbury chocolate bar and start eating the chocolate bar. I altered my brain's chemistry in a nanosecond with the properties in chocolate and the fat and the sugar. And I felt better and it didn't matter to me that she was whining. And when I'm done with the chocolate bar, I hang up. Okay, well, you know, I don't eat the healthy kind. You, you understand that. Right, 12 ounce bars, of course, but they had raisins and nuts in it, so I'm getting some nutrition. You know, what are you doing for your behaviors? And then one morning I had to lecture in San Francisco and went to put on one of my wool suits and couldn't get it zipped up. And I was a little distraught and I got on the scales and I gained 18 pounds. I mean, on, on my frame, that's obscene. And it didn't take long to figure out where it was coming from. I had been, I'm fairly frugal financially. You know, I try to make good financial decisions. And it's a whole lot cheaper to go to Costco and buy Cadbury by the case than it is to buy it by the bar down in the, in the gift shop. So I have it everywhere. Not a problem. And I go, oh, my goodness, that one got away from me. Okay, we'll do something about that. So at the point, now here's where you have a choice. I could say, I'm never talking to Aunt Madge again. It's not her problem, it's mine. And because I love her, even when she whines, I wanted to keep up some relationship with her, so I had to do something about my behavior. So I draw this out on paper, what I used to do. And at the point I want to do something different, I draw in a signal light. So the phone rings, it's Aunt Madge, she begins to wine good i can't change that i now see myself with the signal light and i give my brain 
two choices. Never more than two choices. You only have two hemispheres. Give them more than two choices, it'll drop them off to two, and it might drop off the one that would be your best option. So my, my first two choices are, do I crash through the signal light and go on the old highway, or do I turn at the signal light and take the bypass? Okay, so I choose to turn at the bypass. Now I also have two choices, two healthy replacement behaviors. I can drink a glass of water or I can eat an apple. Those are my two. So got how that works? Up and down means yes. Okay. Willpower. This is where you use willpower to make your choices that you've already established ahead of time. So here's the caveat about willpower from work by Daniel Wegner, who wrote The White Bear Phenomenon. Willpower rarely works well to deprive yourself of something you already do for gratification. Willing yourself not to do this anymore just puts that in working memory and all you do is think about it and want to do it even more. And unfortunately, that's not how I grew up. I grew up being told to use your willpower to not do something. Well, don't you think that's what Paul was experiencing when he said, you know, the stuff I want to do, I don't do, and the stuff I don't want to do, I do do. Well, we haven't learned how to use willpower. Willpower allows you to do two things. Develop a new behavior, and in this model, turn at the bypass, and to replace the old behavior with a healthier behavior. Okay, I'm going to have a glass of water or apple juice. Because it's right here behind your forehead. Now listen up. What, how old does the brain usually have to be before that part is done? Mid-twenties. So we're continually beating up kids for lack of willpower. Well, until their brain is done, hopefully we've been teaching them about willpower, but it's probably not going to be consistently implemented until 25, 26, 27, 28. You know, I told you, that's, I, as a preacher's kid, I thought, how come the Lord wasted so much time when he was on earth? Didn't start his ministry until 30. No, he understood the brain. Giving himself a little developmental time here so that he would be able to distinguish some of the temptations he had to deal with. So you always tell your brain what you are doing and you stop talking about what you aren't doing. You only focus on your healthier replacement behaviors, whatever those are, and get those into long-term memory. And you speak as if it's a done deal. I am doing this, okay? Maybe you haven't done it yet for today. But the minute you say, I'm going to, that's future tense. And the brain never gets behind future tense. It's very saving of its energy. So you say, I'm going to, and the brain goes, okay, fine, when you get there, I'll help you. But you never get there because you're always going to. Or you're always trying to. You have to say, I am, as if it's a done deal. And I find it interesting that that's one of God's names for himself. I am. So how long does it take to do this? Well, the good news is if you consistently exhibit the behavior for 21 days, you pretty well got 21 layers laid down on your software and you're, you're in good shape. 
Then I tell people, go on to another 21-day cycle. I mean, I got a calendar, and I started checking off the days that I'm doing new behavior with Aunt Madge. Anything you can do as a metaphor for your brain to follow the picture will be helpful. So if you picture making a real highway in the real world, you know, first 21 days, yeah, you might even have some layers of asphalt on. But now the second 21 days, you can paint the lines on the road and make sure you have shoulders and signage. Anything will help you. So if you really are struggling with a behavior, sometimes you'll find yourself sitting at that metaphorical light going, boy, I want to really crash through on the old highway. And that's when I think a support system can be really helpful because you can call them up and say, I'm sitting at the signal light. I really want to go through on the old highway. Remind me of all the reasons that I do want to turn. And usually you can start getting your brain involved and that will really help you do that. All right, let's talk a little bit about cravings because when I work with people, whether it's just a habit or a habit that is run away with itself and is an addictive behavior now, they're terrified of changing because they don't think they can handle cravings. All right, get this. All a craving is, is your brain saying, uh, give me, you know, give me the curry instead of the minestrone. That's all it's saying. Give me what I used to have. So you've got to decide who's the adult here. It's like the little kid, I want a cookie. Well, you're going to give him a cookie now or you're going to not give him a cookie now? Who's in charge? The tendency when you want to feel good right now is to fall back on an old unhealthy behavior that altered your neurochemistry very quickly. So as long as you know that, you can be ready for that. So let me give you an example. I had a fascinating experience not all that long ago young man, he was 33, I believe, came to my office and he said, I need help. I understand you're a brain function specialist. Yeah, I want you to help me. And I said, tell me what you want. And if I can, I'll, I'll do so. He said, well, I quit smoking 10 years ago. I said, good. Your brain is already repairing itself. Yeah, he says, but every day for 10 years, I've craved a cigarette. And I said, woo, not so good. That's what, 3,000, I don't know, 650-some days that you've been white-knuckling it? That's a hard way to go. Yeah, he says, well, I don't know what to do. He says, I'm a competition wind surfer. Do you know what that is? I didn't know what that was. It's like this surfboard-looking thing, and it's got a you know, a sail on it. I, I drove down to San Francisco Bay to watch people windsurf. <laughs> Nothing I'm ever going to be doing. He go, and he's, he's world-class competition. You know, he's got his 10,000 hours in. He's very good. He's, he said he had a whole wall of international trophies he'd won. The reason he quit smoking was because the occasional time when he fell off his board... He's getting a little short of breath climbing back on. He goes, I can't stay world-class competition if I keep smoking. So he quit smoking. But he wants help stopping, you know, the cravings. So I said to him, well, here's my belief. You've altered the way that you 
seasoned your brain's chemical stew, but you haven't learned to like it, and you haven't removed triggers from your environment. So let's talk about that and see if I can come up with some ideas for you. So I'll give you an example of just a few of them. Every morning, he drank coffee out of a 22-carat gold-plated coffee cup that was a trophy for a win. So the first thing his brain would think of when he looked at that cup is what? What's the first thing his brain thinks of when he looks at the cup? What did it represent? A win. Okay. An international win, I don't know, probably worth 10 orgasms. So when he looks at his cup, he remembers the win, and you get similar chemicals pumped into your brain as happened at the event, and you feel great. It so happened he smoked. At some point, he gets rid of the cigarette. Now think carefully. The next morning when he sees his cup, the first thing he thinks of is the wind, good. And the second thing he thinks of is, where's my cigarette? So he spends the day craving cigarettes. It does not take rocket science to figure this out. I told him, put your gold-plated coffee cup back on the wall. Get yourself a cup disassociated with smoking. So the next morning when he gets his cup, it won't remind him of a win, so he won't get that little jolt. But eventually, it's certainly not going to remind him of smoking because there's no association in the brain between cigarettes and the cup. Okay, got that? All right, so I asked him if he smoked in his vehicle. He said, yep. I said, you drive in the same vehicle? He goes, yep. I go, well, what part of that don't you get? You get in your fancy red truck, you know, lock the door, turn the engine on, buckle up. What's the next thing your brain wants? A cigarette. Get a different truck. Do you, did you smoke at home? Uh, yeah, I said I did, but only in one chair in one room. I said, you still got the same chair? Uh-huh. Get rid of the chair. Rearrange your furniture. Come on. He was a bit of a hunk. In fact, I was tired after the lecture, but he was so cute that I thought I could stand to look at him for half an hour. <laughs> and that's when it became very clear to me that brains and looks do not necessarily equate. I'll tell you more about that. So I asked him if he had any pets because pets often trigger cravings. He said, yes, I have a pet named Angus. Okay, I was raised in Canada. I hear Angus, what do I think of? Beef on the hoof. And I'm going, Angus, you know, yeah, what has he got, a pet steer? <laughs> and I didn't want to sound too uninformed, so I said, um, what species is your pet? He goes, oh, it's a schnauzer. Okay, at least I know it's a dog. And he says, and I've got a picture of him, I love the dog. Pulls his wallet out, pulls out the picture. This is the closest cartoon I could come to that picture ugliest creature I've ever seen. <laughs> Bow-legged, skinny, here a hair, there a hair, here a tooth, there a tooth. I looked at that creature and he's going, I just love Angus, isn't he wonderful? I'm going, maybe not so much. I said, how old is he? 
He said, 14. Oh, I instantly, you know, revised my estimation. I realized I jumped to a conclusion. You know, 14 is nearly the century mark, isn't it, for a dog in people years? I mean, good on that creature. Well, here's his um, routine with Angus. After dinner, he would clip a lead on him, take him out the front door, down the street, across into the park. Halfway across the park, there was a marble bench. He would sit down on the marble bench for 10 or 15 minutes, unleash Angus, and while the pitiful creature was running around still trying to replicate its ugliness, he would be smoking. Okay, still taking Angus to the same marble bench. This is not rocket science, folks. So I didn't tell him to get rid of Angus. I told him to avoid the marble bench. So this takes about 30 minutes. He stands up, he looks at me, he says, do you know that you're crazy? I said, well, I may be. Uh, I don't particularly recognize that, but I may be. He goes, none of this stuff's gonna work. This is just a bunch of bunk. I said, well, the research is that if you apply it, it will work, but every brain is different, so it's up to you. Yeah, he says, you're nuts. He walks out, slams my door. And I think, well, that is the very last time that I agree to spend time with somebody just because they're good looking. Because <laughs> apparently it doesn't quite with brains. So I wish I'd written it down. I really do. Because I think it must have been three, four months later, the phone rings. This voice says, um, Dr. Taylor, I may have been just a tad rude at our last meeting. And I go, well, you have to give me more information than that. He goes, oh, I'm the competition windsurfer. I go, oh, Angus. No, ma'am, he says, that's my dog. <laughs> I know that, but that was my association. <laughs> I said, uh, so how's it going? Well, he says, I, um, I think probably I was a little inappropriately angry. Now, that's a pretty good, probably, um, apology from a hunk. And he said, I got home and I was grousing all week and told my wife how ridiculous I wasted a half an hour with you. And finally, after about three weeks, my wife sat me down and she said, you better get an attitude adjustment or you're out of here. He says, you're just pathetic to live with. She says, what would it hurt you? to try some of those things. You haven't been successful with anything else. So he said it was either that or my marriage. So he said, I thought, well, I might as well try something. So we went and got a different truck. Uh, we got a different chair. We did rearrange the furniture. I did get a new coffee cup. Uh, stopped taking Angus to the marble bench. And I said, and? Well, he says, that's the part that's so startling. He says, this is a Thursday morning. I woke up this morning. I said to my wife, when did I quit thinking about smoking? She goes, oh, great, I should know. <laughs> he goes, but I mean that. He said, I don't know when it stopped. He said, I woke up this morning thinking that I never think about smoking anymore. I guess I better call the woman up and apologize. That's the research. You do the work and you change your brain because your brain is very plastic. 
and it will do what you want to do. Couple of quick points. When you have an urge to repeat an old behavior, there's what's called a critical window of opportunity, a magic quarter second before you take action. Neurochemically, that's a long time because information flies across those pieces of software at 200 miles per hour, which is, works out to about 400 feet per second. So in a quarter of a second, how much processing can you do? How many feet of processing? A hundred. And how many inches are we talking here? You know, six, seven. Guy said to me once, eight if you're a fathead. But, you know, that's a hundred feet of processing. That's a long time neurochemically to make one choice. What is that choice? To go through on the bypass, to go through on the old highway or turn at the bypass. That's all you got to do in that quarter second. And the next thing you choose is what? Which of two healthier behaviors are you going to select right now? Avoid getting exhausted. When you get exhausted, you lower the serotonin and dopamine levels in your brain's chemical stew. And it's really difficult to work a program when you're kind of depressed and out of sleep. So you need to take really good care of yourself. So this is what I suggest. I don't care what behavior it is you want to alter. This is what I suggest that you write out and then read aloud. Carry it around with you on a three-by-five three by card. Put it up on your mirror in the bathroom. But read it aloud. Avoid memorizing it. You know, reading aloud for 10 minutes a day is an anti-aging strategy. And it's much better for your brain than if you just memorize it. Maybe I have time to quickly tell you about that research because it's just amazing. PET scan studies, you know, are based on the fact that the neurons need glucose. That's their fuel. And at any given moment, the brain maintains no more than 10 minutes worth of glucose. So you continually need to have the blood going through your brain, providing it with glucose to do any type of activity. So researchers were taking these individuals, putting them in a PET scan camera, and asking them to do a very specific type of activity and then watching to see where in the brain the cells started working to let them do that activity. And the way they knew that is because they would take some glucose, tag it radioactively, and inject it into the bloodstream before the test started. So about 20% of the blood goes through the brain at any given moment, so you'd get 20% of radioactively tagged glucose, and it would form these lovely pictures that they can see where in the brain the cells are starting to work. So one of those studies was they handed the person a piece of paper and they said, read this paragraph to yourself silently. And they started watching what happened in the brain. And you remember the metaphor, my face is a clock, four chunks. A little teeny pinpoint of colored light showed up in each of those four chunks showing that it really takes a bit of a whole brain process in order to read silently. 
not part of the experiment, but one of the researchers said, wonder if it would make any difference if I had him, him read it out loud. And they said, well, let's try it. So they said to the participant, okay, read that same paragraph, but this time read it out loud. And they were staggered. 80%, of these four chunks lit up. It's a very complex brain function activity to read aloud. It has now become a key anti-aging strategy. Read aloud for 10 minutes every day. I think I mentioned that the other night. I said that one time and a lady came up to me and said, I live alone. And I go, and your point would be, well, I don't have anybody to read to. I said, you've got yourself. Just read. Ten minutes every day. So, read it aloud. When I am doing this, I don't even name the behavior. I just say, I'm craving an old unhealthy behavior. Where I've had to tweak that is in the 12-step programs for alcohol recovery. Because it is the most worldwide successful way to treat alcoholism. But when Bill Wilson developed the 12-step programs, he didn't have brain function imaging. He just knew it was important to acknowledge you have a problem because you can't deal with anything till you label and describe it. And so the, the tradition, interesting word, in the 12-step programs is when you go to a program, you must say your name, your first name, and define the behavior you're working on. Okay, we need to throw out tradition in that sense. And some places are loath to do that. So I have said at the very least, you better put the word recovering in there. Because if you just say, hi, my name's Joe, I'm an alcoholic, what's the picture in working memory? Drinking. So now you think about it more than you were thinking about it before. But if you say, hi, I'm Joe, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Right now, I'm taking the bypass. Today, I choose to drink herb tea and orange juice. I don't care. There's your two healthy replacement behaviors. And people who do that recover much more quickly than people who don't. And I always end up, my life and health are good. Because that's the part that says, I like what I'm doing. I've changed the way I'm altering my brain's chemical stew, and I like it. Okay, have you got the general principle of what you need to do? Good, all right. So let's end up reading aloud. After my mother died, I was looking through her desk, and I found this little poem, love the poem. And I thought for a while she might have written it because she was a poet. But I turned the page over and saw the word anonymous at the bottom. I'm here to tell you, if my mother had written it, her name would be on it. So I love this because it talks about the power of habits and so on. So let's read it aloud and then we'll be done. And by the way, I have loved being back in Australia. I have loved listening to your accents. And hopefully our paths will cross again. All right, let's go. It is mighty hard to shake me. In my brawny arms I take thee. I can neither make or break thee. I am habit. 
Through each day I slowly mold thee, soon my tightening chains enfold thee, then it is with ease I hold thee, I am habit. I can be both good and vile, I can e'er be worth your while, or the cause of your decryal, I am habit. Oft I've proved myself a pleasure, proved myself a priceless treasure, or a menace past all measure, I am habit. Harmless though I sometimes seem, yet my strange force is like a magnet, like a great and greedy dragnet, I am habit. Though you sometimes fear or doubt me, no one yet has lived without me. I am present all about thee, I am habit. Choose me well when you are starting, seldom is an easy parting. I'm a devil or a darling, I am habit. Now this must be really old because they're using the word thee, which I know some of you just cringe about. So, you know, put a different word in there if you want. But it does speak to once we get that software down and get it layered with myelin, it is simple, but sometimes difficult to change. But you absolutely can do it. So have fun with some of this information and it will change your life. Thank you. How many people would like to see this good lady come back to our shores again? What do you reckon? Eh? Yeah. So we would love that. Yeah. So, uh, so we might uh, plan on that again, eh? and I know that there is so much more that she has to share. I've heard um, probably three or four or five other topics that other people have talked to me about, about topics that they've actually heard her uh, already talk about that when they were <clears throat> in another location somewhere else, and I'm going, whoa, okay, I'm pretty interested in that too. So, uh, so let's think about that, and if it works out, we would love to do it. So, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Arlene, we, would, we just want to say thank you so much for all the time, all the effort, and all of the, not only the experience, but all of the knowledge that you have shared with us. It's just incredible how much knowledge you, <clears throat> you have. And it, and it um, comes out, particularly when we ask you questions, um, <clears throat> and it just comes out incidentally here and there, and you kind of go, whoa, there's a whole, a whole world of other things once you start asking a few questions. So, th- <laughs> <laughs> So thank you again. Let's give her a final hand. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Thank you, folks. Have a good day.